0: All right, so we're speaking with Don Teeter. He is a uh, uh, poor Crayon David Hunter Struther reenactor, and we're in downtown Papen Bridge, West Virginia. Uh, the sun is out. It rained buckets earlier. People got soaked, but uh, here we are now. The sun is out, and we're out in front of uh, the Farmer's Daughter restaurant where you can get a really good hamburger right here. Uh, I've yet to had one, have one, but uh, one of these days I will. Uh, Don, uh, welcome to uh, the Pork Crayon Applejack Society. Thank you. First off, I guess uh, you've been reenacting
1: uh, David Hunter Strother for how long? Uh, right around 10 or 11 years. I-, I was one of the characters that went on to the History Alive roster uh, right at the beginning of the Civil War uh, sesquicentennial. When they wanted to develop characters related to West Virginia in the Civil War, and of course he fit the bill for that because of having been a Union topographer and of course being a West Virginia native.
0: Okay, I'm I'm going to make a big assumption here, um, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if I laid money on it, I'd be, I, I would, I could win. Uh, but judging by your last name, Teeter. Uh, you must be related to the uh, teeter family that um, that port wrote about in the mountains which was published in Harper's monthly magazine
1: in what the 1870s I went to a family reunion about uh, five years ago invited by a member of that family who'd attended one of my port crayon portrayals and They had some genealogical information there, and I had some, and we tracked back and found a connection, two brothers, one born in 1802, the other in 1810. So whether that makes us seventh, eighth, ninth cousins, I'm not sure, but far enough back, we are connected, yes.
0: But was the teeter name, uh, is that what got you into uh, portraying uh, David Hunter Strother?
1: Well, actually, I published a local history back in 1977 uh, called Going Up Gandy, a history of the Dry Fork area, and specifically of the little towns of Whitmer and Horton where my granddad had grown up. And I was a newly minted history major. I was aware of the Port crayon stories right in that vicinity, Gandy Creek and the Dry Fork and over into Canaan. But being a newly minted history major, I wanted hard documentary history and they were great anecdotes, but I didn't feel that they were useful for a history. Later I felt like I kind of dropped the ball on that, so in some ways it was sort of making up for shorting him before. But another thing that drew me to him as a character was that I developed a a continuing education seminar for land surveyors that I called The Drawing Fire, Map-Making in the Civil War. And lo and behold, there he was as a topographer, a map maker for the Union Army, which made him that much more intriguing. So then when the Humanities Council put out the call, I just kind of got drawn to doing the character. I had been doing some portrayals, uh, a Confederate map maker Jed Hotchkiss, uh, although certainly a bit more of a superficial portrayal in terms of the level of research than what I've done Jed before. H- Hotchkiss was Stonewall Jackson's Stonewall topographer? Stonewall Jackson's mapper, yes. And I've become interested in Jed Hotchkiss because I've been involved uh, since the beginning of the foundation with the Rich Mountain Battlefield Foundation. I was uh, one of the original board members of that and hotchkiss's military service started at rich mountain he was a school teacher in churchville just outside of stanton and most of his students in his school had enlisted in the churchville cavalry so he went to rich mountain with a load of supplies for the churchville cavalry with a wagon load and he took with him his surveying compass and chain and a couple of other little pieces of equipment and did some tremendous mapping work the maps in the official records atlas of the civil war of rich mountain the, the battle and camp garnett which was the headquarters of the confederate forces there at rich mountain before the battle uh, some of the best mapping that was done and hotchkiss himself has more maps reproduced in the official records atlas than any other single mapper. And so that had drawn me into that. And that had gotten me comfortable with the, the concept of, of doing portrayals of characters and like so many things that you're a little clumsy with in the beginning and not confident as you begin to do it, it just sort of starts connecting for
0: you. Now you're a surveyor, uh, did you have any acting experience uh, before you started portraying?
1: No. Um, I, well, I'll back up a little. Uh, when I was in high school, I was in the drama club, but did not really have any significant parts in any place. But our drama teacher took a group of students every year to Morgantown to the state high school uh, drama and, and forensics uh, tournaments contest and my senior year I entered the extemporaneous speaking contest and finished second in the state the contemporary the extemporaneous speaking you would be given a subject and then you were supposed to consult the notes that you have a lot of the people in it had extensive card files and stuff for any subject would come up they'd find something on it I relied much more on uh, seat of the pants uh, kind of uh, thing, and they'd ask me a question, and I'd tell mostly true stuff about it, but I I joked around about it and told people I uh, essentially had won second place in the state high school BSing contest. So I was comfortable speaking, at least to that extent.
0: Could you give me like a quick... I don't mean to make you do the whole presentation all over again, I think that you've done over and over, but could you give me a quick overview of uh, of your presentation when you uh, get on stage and portray David Hunter Struther?
1: Well, I start out with the logical material of his Civil War service. I, I begin with a, a copy of a map that he had prepared, which is an excellent example of the type of mapping work that they did, that particular map of the community of liberty mills which is down near charlottesville is found in the west virginia and regional history collection archives you can actually view it online, although to have a high enough resolution copy to work with, I had to pay them something like $35 to get a digital scan of that map. Uh, Of course, not to put in too much of a blatant plug, the West Virginia and Regional History Collection at the WVU archives is an an enormously useful resource. Speaking of his Civil War service and
0: uh, his, his writing career, which reached really reached a pinnacle in the 1850s, uh, when he went and explored Canaan Valley with his with his crew, and uh, came back and wrote for Harper's, um, a new monthly magazine. Um, how did the Civil War impact his writing career afterwards?
1: Well, he did publish a a number of stories, uh, uh, personal recollections of the war accompanied by sketches, but Harper's had lost a significant portion of their audience. All of the the Southern people were no longer interested in subscribing to a New York magazine, a New York-based magazine, and of course the money wasn't available for them to buy the magazine either. He ran into the same thing a lot of writers ran into, though, is where there was initially some interest in those Civil War stories. Within a few years after the war, people just didn't want to talk about it anymore. And we've seen the same thing happen, like, after the Vietnam War. For 20 years after the Vietnam War, the veterans didn't want to talk about it, people didn't want to read stories about it, very few movies about it. But then as a little more time passes and they got some distance, they became more interested in it. For him, it was simply a matter of he needed to get back to writing and his artist work because he needed money. Uh, he had made pretty decent money as a writer and artist before the war, but I tell people frequently there, there is a reason for that term, starving artist. It's, a, it's not generally a way to get rich. And in fact, even right up until he died, he was attempting to kind of rejuvenate his writing career a bit with his surviving son. Um, uh, John, I believe, was his name, which, of course, was poor father's name. He'd lost his younger son, uh, David, to some mysterious illness uh, while he was still a child. But he was trying to revive—he was— t- He was trying to revive his career as an artist and writer and bill it as a and son. Uh, So a lot of his life, things were driven by the necessity to make a living. And in fact, after his father died, he and his sister were still left with debts from his father's estate. His father had run a, a resort hotel in Berkeley Springs and it pretty much was destroyed financially, not physically, but financially during the war. So the, the wolf was never completely at bay for him, except for the brief period where he was appointed a consul to Mexico after the war, which was really one of those things where it was a, a, a reward for his service. But he took it very seriously in his 60s, uh, learned Spanish and uh, wrote extensively about that era in Mexico, and it's considered by many historians to be a pretty valuable resource in studying Mexican history of that time period, You know, as it would have been seen from kind of an outside observer.
0: This is something that I've been trying to wrap my head around. Uh, so here's David Hunter Strother in what is now the Eastern Panhandle of uh, West Virginia, which was Virginia at the time. Civil War breaks out. Um, he ends up, after trying to remain neutral, ends up in the Union Army. And, and I, I, I guess well, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what his attitudes were uh, towards slavery.
1: Like a lot of people in that time period, he was kind of ambivalent. He, he recognized the, uh, the essential Un- injustice uh, the wrongness of slavery but like a lot of other people based on what i've read of his writings he just didn't quite know how to get away from it um some of it being the financial issue and of course in his case he had many family members cousins and uncles and that were slave owners and many of them were very surprised that he went with the union but that he was wa-
0: his mother's family his father's family as well?
1: I think of his mother's family to a great extent, yes. He, um, he wrote that they really shouldn't have been surprised because if they'd paid attention to what he had written, they would have recognized that, that he was strongly in support of the Union in abstract terms before the war. And, of course, his father, Colonel John Strother, was a veteran of the War of 1812. So he said that, that uh, a lot of them assumed he would go with the Confederacy because of where he lived and the family members he had, but that they had just simply not paid attention to what he, what he had said.
0: Something interesting that I ran across in, uh, in the New York Times of the day, there was a little teeny blurb. I don't know how I found it, but I did. And I wish I had saved it because I'm going to have to go back and find it again. But there was a little teeny blurb lamenting, that Strother had, uh, had joined the Confederacy.
1: Well, that's interesting. I was totally unaware of that. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, it's just like two or three lines, but it's, you know, the notable Southern writer, David Hunter Strother, we're really sad that he's, you know, gone off and joined the rebels and, and you know, in insurrection against the U.S. government, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, wow. Wow. I guess they had to retract that <laughs> after, you know, after a while, but it, the war had just broken out, and I think things were, you know, communication, not really what it is today back then, so, I mean, they were operating on, uh, I guess, what they were told.
1: Well, just like today, sometimes it's easy to get a rumor started, Yeah. and it picks up a life of its own, and even in that time, everybody in the news business was looking for a scoop to be the first to report a story. And not necessarily checking it out carefully. But, of
0: course, uh, David Hunter Strother, um, mostly known for, uh, at least in West Virginia, uh, for his uh, writings about the state and his landscapes uh, about the state. Um, I don't know where I'm going with a question on that, but I'm sure you can figure it out.
1: <laughs> well, I can comment on that. Actually, <laughs> he's he's been identified by some literary historians as being part of what's referred to as the local color movement of writing uh, where instead of abstract things it's just getting out into the world experiencing things reporting on what everyday people are doing and he wrote extensively in harper's about other areas of the country he did a whole series of stories that he called uh a a winter in the South, uh, a summer in New England. He knew when to go to which part of the country. And one of the kinds of things he reported on was the industry and the economy of those different parts of the country, which I think is part of what gave him the perspective at the beginning of the war that there's no way, or at least very unlikely, that the South will be able to prevail. I mean, he didn't just throw his lot in with the Union trying to pick the winning side, but it reinforced his notion that the Union likely would be preserved and that perhaps he could be helpful with that. So a, a pragmatic decision, then? Pragmatic, I think, is a, a good description of it. A Pragmatic somewhat politically. He published one story in the 1850s, I believe. It was called The Candidate, and it's when he'd been recruited to run, I believe, for the Virginia... House of Delegates. Um, and he took a very humorous take on the whole political process and kind of the power brokers thing and all of that. And uh, I don't believe he won that election, but it reinforced his uh, skepticism regarding politics. And he also insisted on finding the humor in it when he could. And just like today, uh, some people don't like you to find humor in their politics. Yeah.
0: So David Hunter Strother, wildly popular uh, in the 1850s uh, with his writings about, you know, Western Virginia and um, the other places that you mentioned, New England and the South, the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. Uh, but even in his lifetime, he saw his popularity kind of drop off. And, and now people who remember him are mostly in West Virginia. Uh, where, where, do you, where does he... Where is his place in in literary history, do you think?
1: Well, certainly as a a part of the local color thing, um, but he also kind of captured snapshots of life in many parts of West Virginia, the, the culture and the people. A not f- formal history uh, of the economy and, and the construction of railroads and those kinds of things, but of the people themselves and their culture, and frequently he would try to capture in his writings their dialect, which can be a very difficult thing for a writer to do. He um, Another thing, we talked a few minutes ago about the thing with slavery, he was uh, pretty well recognized early on as having, having the ability to recognize black people as individuals. In his illustrations, when you look at them, even though his, many of his sketches are kind of caricatures, he does capture the individuality of people, including black people. They don't all look the same in his sketches. He recognizes personality and, and individual traits in people. And that was something that was unusual for his time.
0: Don Teeter, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Appreciate it. You're welcome. I enjoyed it.